It is portrayed in TV and movies as one of the most iconic symbols of witchcraft. We've been led to believe that with a flick and a swish, candles light, objects levitate, and your will manifests. But what is the reality of this tool? How is it used, and how can it have a real impact in our rituals and daily life? In this episode, we answer community questions about the wand. Hello, I'm your resident wizard, Reverend Wade. And I'm your librarian and witch, Cassandra. And today we're going to be tackling one of the most popular tools in your practice, within your circle, or amongst uh, many circles for that matter, and that is the wand. And what we've done is we've polled uh, a number of folks from the community, and they've been very generous with their response in coming back with a ton of questions. And there's just, there's just a lot of stuff, and I think that these questions are going to suss out uh, a huge portion of what anybody really needs to know about using a wand in circle. So I'm just I'm just going to crank into it. I'm just going to toss the first question at you, which is, do you have to be a Wiccan to use a wand? Absolutely not. And uh, I do have to sit here and chuckle a little bit over this question. Um, there, there is no, there are no stupid questions, but this one is at least a little silly. Uh, so my apologies to whoever asked it. Um, but no, uh, you know, who, who as a kid didn't pick up a stick out in the woods and make a wand, right? Um, mm -hmm. Wands are throughout history, throughout cultures, throughout practices. Um, people use them differently. People view them differently. Um, the wand is individual to the user. Um, anyone could make a wand. You can... You could say you can find wands in the, in the uh, mundane world, right? Um, right. We've already had a, a few discussions before actually recording this podcast, uh, and you had brought up the, the conductor's wand. I thought that was an excellent example. Um, you could say that a teacher's pointer is a wand. Um, mm. The wand, for me, is one of my favorite tools. Uh, on my altar table um, when I was taught about using a wand it was um, described to me as a tool to cast enchantment and how beautiful and perfect is that and whenever I pick up my wand I think yeah. I think about that I am casting enchantment with this item so no you do you definitely don't have to be a Wiccan to have a wand yeah and so long as you understand the purpose of using it or the reason why you're using it uh, it's a tool. It is a, it's a tool that you're using to communicate to people around you. It's a tool that you're using to communicate to your magical self. Uh, that part of your mind that requires sort of this roundabout way of, of negotiating with it. It's, it's the part of communicating and convincing the more emotional, the more, more base, the more intuitive self. And and the wand is just a tool for communication in that regards. And it can be used both internally for that self and externally for the people around you. Uh, and there are tons of examples, and I'm sure that those will get flushed out in a number of these questions. But to circle back around to it, do you have to be Wiccan to use a wand? The answer is definitely not. You don't even have to be a witch to use a wand. Uh, because it is such a powerful tool, and it in and of itself can be used... Um, to, to really make a point of it. And the conductor, as an example, uses a, a baton, right? Is that it? It's the conductor's baton, yes. but it's the wand. It's face a very thin and long wand. And, and that he uses that to express his emotion. And he uses it to express 
you know, what the rest of the orchestra should pick up on. You know, a slight dipping of the wand means softer notes, more aggressive or just harder pounding, deeper notes. And the, just the emotion of the conductor comes out through the wand, and it's that, that, that relationship. The conductor isn't forcing the orchestra to, to his will. He is communicating his emotions and how the music should be played out uh, through the end of his wand and, and how he expresses that. And the people that are watching this and reading the music are adjusting their tone and their tempo based on the emotion pouring from the conductor. The best use of uses of wand that I've seen have been in exactly that, this, this communication, this sort of symbiotic relationship between the conductor and the orchestra. And it's very much the same, I think, uh, in Circle. I, I think that, that the use of the wand in Circle is very much similar. You're moving your emotions through it. You are creating sigils in the air. You are pointing at a place in space where you're imagining a line being drawn around your circle. You're using it for a number of ways to communicate both with yourself We'll get more into that later, I think, and communicate with everyone else in your circle space. Uh, when I use a wand in circle, it's not just focusing my energy, right? It's also focusing everyone else's energy in circle as they watch me use that wand and watch where I am using that wand to cast energy or to direct energy. You know, it, it's, it's a focus object. And I think it's really important to note when we talk about these sorts of tools that the tools in and of themselves are you know symbols right they are they are you you never have to use a tool to do anything we're doing in ritual you can do it yeah they're functional they're, they're functional physical symbols exactly and they they are used to do different things and in this case the wand is absolutely uh, to to cast energy, to direct energy, um, but it's also to, as you said, communicate to the rest of the circle what the person who is performing whatever act in the midst of ritual is doing um, and help focus their energy in that spot as well. Gotcha. So another question that I think relates to this is, how can I get over feeling silly while using a wand? And I get that because if if it's if you're just not used to doing it, it might seem a little dumb, or you might be kind of perceiving yourself from the outside and and thinking that, okay, this is kind of silly. Maybe this is like acting or play magic, only without the cool shit coming out the end of it, that kind of thing. So what advice would you get to kind of get over the feeling of feeling silly while using it? Yeah, I think that's a matter of becoming comfortable with your tools. Uh, you have to create your own relationship with your tools and you have to use tools that you are comfortable using. Um, you know, I think most of us have had that experience when we've picked up a new tool and gone, ah, yes, this is the right one. Um, and then sometimes you pick up tools, you know, that you have no connection to whatsoever. Um, some of that is just, you know, it's totally experience and it's part of the process of learning the craft um, and learning energy and learning how these things actually function in our magical practices. Um, I have uh, my own wand that uh, only I use. And then I have or have had in the past um, several wands that were for my coven's use. Right. And I always encourage my students to come into mm -hmm. 
uh, my ritual space and, and my altar and on my bookshelves and to become familiar with the tools that um, I have. Um, you know, all of my students know that, that they are welcome to come in and pick up and touch as long as they do it respectfully, any of, of my magical items. And, um, you know, I think any good teacher will introduce students to each, each tool on the altar as, you know, you get there in the, the teaching process. But it's also just a matter of embracing your personal power, right? Um, when I use my wand in circle, um, I, I have a fairly long wand in comparison, I think, to some. Um, it's a it's a very direct, pointy object. Um, it has some. I've seen your wand. <laughs> it's it feels very overcompensating. It's, it's really huge. Um, really long. I, I love my wand, though. It's very dramatic. It is a very dramatic wand, and if you know me, I'm not particularly a dramatic person, and so it helps me channel that part of myself in ritual that I'm not always comfortable with, right? The the part where you are performing ritual with other people. And I don't always like being the center of attention, but when I'm a priestess, I am a center of attention in circle. And my wand really helps me embrace that. Um, you know, it's it really does direct people's attention where I want it to go. It helps me direct their energy. Um, so I think when you're talking about becoming comfortable using these tools and not feeling silly, um, there is that, that little bit of a hurdle where you have to embrace it. Um, otherwise that tool is not for you. You know, you should never force a tool on yourself, right? Like if you pick something up and it doesn't work for you, don't use it. You know, I can do the same thing, uh, I do with my wand with my hands or not at all. I can do it in my head, right? It's, it's all about training your your mental self to direct energy. Um, the tool is a way to focus that energy. Um, and I love my tools, but I've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, I've got, oh gosh, almost 20 some years of experience in these days. <laughs> um, and my tools are things that I have come across or been gifted with or uh, created over that 20 years of practice. And they're all very personal objects and items. They're all things that I love. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's my wand or my athame or my chalice, uh, whatever it is, you know, those items have really personal um, meanings and emotions and uh, backstories and histories to them. Um, and it wasn't like I just walked into a store and, you know, w you know, without looking at what was available, picked one up and said, OK, this is it and walked out. And I, I think that's part of the process and you can't force it. Yep. And I think a lot of people expect to just kind of walk into circle for the first time and like be magically gifted <laughs> with all of these items. And they don't understand that it really does just take time an experience and sometimes it's the right moment uh you, you know you never know when uh you know you're gonna walk in and be like oh there's my thing um and i think that in and of itself can be a very powerful experience um but just to, to finish that off um i do think that getting over feeling silly using a tool is a matter of using a tool regularly and being comfortable with what you're doing um you know we all come to this as students, right? You, you, we don't expect someone to walk into a circle for the first time and pick up a wand and know exactly how to use it. 
Um, and any good, right. good teacher will will train you, you know, how to handle a wand, how to feel with a wand, how to use the wand, um, and you will eventually create your own history with a tool. And I think that's the really important part of of that experience. Yep. Uh, so my advice would be uh, go to YouTube, sitting in a chair, get whatever you want to use as a wand, whatever you want to uh, get over this this feeling. And I would say open YouTube and pull up The Sorcerer's Apprentice from Fantasia. And just conduct the music along with the song, along with the music, along with Mickey, right? Mickey's using a wand. Dun, 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 you know, and do that. Be the conductor. Use your wand to feel into the music and to accentuate to it. And you're going to feel silly. Just do it by yourself. Do it in whatever room you can. But the gist here is that it's like dancing. And if you have a problem dancing by yourself, then using a wand by yourself is going to be a little awkward. But it takes practice, and, and it takes just not caring is really what it comes down to. And when you're in a circle, the feeling you should have in the circle is that everything outside of the circle doesn't matter. And it doesn't. That's the relieving thing. Is that when you draw that line, you separate that space between what is, you know, your most immediate universe versus everything else in the world. And it's incredibly freeing in that moment. So you should feel free as a result to use the wand however the heck you want to. And who cares who can see it? They don't matter. But I would say start with you know, or, you know, either that video or find a song that you like, but just conducting the music. And once you get comfortable doing that, the idea of going out and actually conducting within your circle, it'll be something you've already done to music. And you can do that in the circle. You could bring music into your circle. You could, you know, just sort of use your wand to sort of conduct your way uh, through circle as you cast your circle or whatnot. But I would say that's, a, in my opinion, that's potentially a, a, a good exercise to to get just get used to doing it. Can I also point out that mm. that whole story, the, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, is about Apprentice stealing the wand, right, and then kind of getting himself into a mess when he's using it without knowing what he's doing. Mickey, don't feel um, silly. Which is kind of no, <laughs> and uh, you know he he got that castle very clean, if not too clean, a little moist, um, a little moist, <laughs> but uh. You know, I think that's a, a really good metaphor for learning to use a wand. Um, and I would also just point out that it, it really is a matter of embracing your own power and owning your own power and being comfortable wielding that power. Um, I think that's a lot of what uh, magical practice is. Mm -hmm. You are um, using your will to change the universe around you through magical means. Um, and if you don't have the confidence to do that, then you, you need to keep working at it <laughs> because you have to have confidence in yourself uh, when you are doing any working and when you are using a tool. Um, and I think that that, you know, uh, again, it, you know, it is experience. It is uh, becoming comfortable with your tools. But um, you do at a certain point have to make the decision for yourself that you are a powerful person and you have a right mm. to put that power out there. Okay. So I think we touched on this uh, at least a little bit, but I'm going to toss it out there since somebody had provided the question, which was uh, uh, what's the difference between using your wand versus just using your finger? 
For me, it's definitely a more focused energy. But again, it's because I've trained myself uh, to focus differently with my wand. Um, I could, I could absolutely just use my finger. Um, you know, I have had moments when I've been away from my tools and I'm like, okay, something needs to happen right now. And I can do circle. I can, um, cast enchantment. I can do whatever I need to do using nothing but myself. Um, but when I have my wand, um, you know, it is, it is usually a much more powerful experience. Um, but part of that is again, my training in using my wand to focus energy. Um, yeah, it's again, the wand is a tool to focus yourself. Um, and that helps me do it. You know, it is part of my practice. My tools are a part of my practice. I have been trained to use my tools. Mm -hmm. Um, and I try to encourage students to set the tools aside and do everything that we're doing without the tools. Um, you know, um, for me, it does take a little bit of extra concentration to not use my tools. And you could probably say at this point that that, that probably it makes me a little bit of a lazy practitioner because I'm not, you know, training myself every day to do it without. Um, but I'm also privileged and lucky enough to have tools. And so I use them. Yeah. And I do know people who, you know, don't have tools, can't afford them, don't have access to them for whatever reason. Um, and they make do just fine. Yep. Um, I, one of the more interesting lessons, one of the more interesting conversations I'd had with a, a gentleman who was a paraplegic, uh, his name's Matt, and and we sat down and we were talking about uh, ritual practice, and due to his situation, he was unable to go into circle, you know, go into the circle that was in his yard. It was just really too difficult for his chair to, to do. And he asked, he said, you know, does that does me being in the situation I'm in, being uh, paraplegic, does that exclude him from being able to experience ritual as anyone else would? Do you require having a circle? Do you need to have the tools to pick up and do certain symbols? And it really kind of left me at pause for a moment, uh, to which, you know, my answer was no, absolutely not. Like, if your mind can imagine those things, if you can imagine putting yourself in a situation, if you can communicate through your imagination uh, the power of those symbols, the usage of those symbols, then that's good enough. That's going to get your head into a place where where you can do what you need to do, that it isn't necessary. So you don't have to use something physical. These are all These are all material, functional symbols, but you don't have to have them. You can just use your finger. I would say that something that, that having these physical symbols helps with is that the symbols have um, a sort of personality to them. There is a relationship that you have with them. And uh, we'll get into the relationship aspect in a little bit. But that relationship that you have begins slowly. And it takes time. And it takes experience and exposure uh, between you and that tool to certain uh, experiences, certain situations. If you use that tool only in circle, then when you use that tool, there's a part of your mind that's like, ah, I get it. That's what we're using this for. Uh, I get that, you know, when you use this thing, when you don that robe, when you go to that space, after a while, your mind's going to put you into sort of that, that mental state that you need to be in, but it takes time to get there. It's a bit like, you know, Pavlov's dog 
training for that. The dog didn't just start salivating because somebody rang a bell. They had to ring a bell and feed the dog a lot of times in order for the dog to get to a place where he associated bell with food and started dribbling at the mouth. And that's kind of what you're doing with your tools as you're kind of getting to that place. Um, here's a good question. Can I use a wand that has been used by somebody else, uh, for example, like a hand-me-down or as a gift? Absolutely. Um, my, my current wand was a gift. Um, and it was something that someone saw and thought of me. And I, the person who gave it to me was someone I was very close to. Um, you know, it wasn't, it was not a casual gift. It was someone that I circled with regularly, you know, someone who knows me on the magical level as well as the personal one. Um, but most of my first tools were gifts or hand-me-downs. You know, I didn't have, you know, my own anything for a very long time. When I was learning, I used the, the tools of my teachers. Mm -hmm. When I teach, I ask my students to use my tools. I never expect someone to walk into my circle having everything already. And I'm almost a little concerned when they do. Um, you know, they show up and they're like, I've already got the altar. And I'm like, but you don't know how to use it yet. At least not the way I'm going to train you to use it. So maybe those tools were fine for you in whatever practice you were doing before. Maybe they will be for this, but we don't know yet. Mm. I really encourage people to not get tools until we've gotten through a lot of training with them and they've been able to really use my tools and really begin to understand them and understand what they should be looking for in their own tools. Mm -hmm. You know, I, again, it goes back to that, that experience. Yes. So the, the concern I have sometimes is I'll see posts uh, on a number of the, the message forums those social media forums where they're asking about, oh, I'm, I'm just getting into this, so I want to get my 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 wand. Is it, it's kind of like um, it's almost like dress up, right? It's it's being concerned about the things that that don't quite matter just yet, right? It's like me saying I'm gonna buy a car, so I'm really concerned about finding the right radio. When you're buying a car, that's the last thing you should worry about, really. Right, but you're kind of putting the 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 cart before the horse, as it were, and I think that people kind of fall into that thing like they're donning it more as a uh, a wardrobe, if you will, or or an accessory, and not a tool that you would use, and and that's where I think that you know when anybody's kind of getting into the practice, they should focus less on the tools, and more on just the doing and getting comfortable doing without the tools. And then getting, then you're able to feel the difference, right? You can feel the difference between your finger versus introducing a wand into the mix. Well, you know, it, it's like the people who want to play dress up, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's the difference between learning what you're doing versus, you know, putting on a cape and picking up a wand and, you know, saying, oh, I'm a practitioner now. Right. You know, sure, there, there's time and place for that sort of thing, um, but not with what we're discussing right now. And um, I would I would say, too, I have a really hard time. You know, again, I've been at this for a while, but um, I still don't like buying things online that are going to be magical tools. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't always have the luxury of not buying something online. Um, and I think there are ways to kind of get around, like not being able to hold an object in your hand before making the choice to buy it. 
Um, you can talk to the creator. You can talk to the vendor. Um, you know, it, it's it's not like I'm saying don't buy your tools online. Some of us really don't have an option. That's how we have to do it these days, depending on where you live and what you have access to. Mm. You know, sometimes that's what you have to do. I prefer, though, being able to hold something in my hands before I buy it. Um, because, again, you you pick something up and it either feels right or it doesn't. You know, usually I for the tools that I have purchased for myself, I've had very strong reactions to right away. Um, you know, I, I didn't pick it up and go, eh, eh, maybe I can use this. You know, I, I've, I've always had that immediate, like, gut check reaction of, yes, that's my tool. Mm-hmm. So while we can't always just not purchase things online, I do really try to encourage people who uh, are learning from me uh, to, to go out and actually hold these things in their hands. And, you know, a wand is one of those amazing things that, you know, it doesn't have to be something that someone made for you. Again, you can walk out in your backyard and pick up a stick and there's your wand. Right. Um, these things really don't have to be fancy. They don't have to be carved. They don't have to be jewel encrusted. It is, it is a matter of what feels right to you. Yeah. And that, that kind of goes to the question of, of, uh, you know, how do you come to a decision of picking a wand and you've, you've nailed a number of them and it can be just as simple as going and, and picking a stick up. Uh, my wife has a wand that is a stick that she got uh, near the gravesite of her father that it just seemed like the right thing in the right place. And, and here's the thing that you're trying to do with these symbols is, again, you're trying to create this sort of relationship. And what you can do in creating that relationship and investing in that relationship is going to go a long way. Because first off, it, it makes your mind comfortable. It allows you to sort of include it in as, as something that you feel a deeper connection with. Uh, I think that's the reason why there's sometimes, uh, I don't want to say an argument, but a difference between, say, getting a wand from someone else or buying a wand versus making one yourself. And I think some people feel like, you know, must hardcore, you should make your tools. And I don't feel that that's necessarily the case, but I think that if you've invested time in creating something, what you've done is you've begun that relationship, right? And I like to compare it to like human relationships. If you've created your wand, it's kind of like your best friend and then end up dating your best friend. Like you have a history before you've dedicated it to a particular use. Whereas if you've bought a wand, it's kind of like a, a first date that you're kind of feeling each other out and starting your relationship anew. And you still have a, a different sort of way of going about it, but you're going to start building on that relationship with experiences. And that can be a great thing too. So I don't care personally either way. Because what you're really doing is you're taking an, an item, you're taking an object, and you're investing in that relationship. And however you can invest in that relationship is going to draw it closer to you. It's going to give more meaning to you. And that part of our head that uh, we have a hard time connecting to is going to take that a little bit more seriously. So that said, when you have said wand, how do you charge, cleanse, or dedicate? And what's, what is the difference between these three things? How do you purify a wand? That's another question that was posed. Um, well, if we're going to ask how, how to purify a wand, we, we kind of have to ask what happened to that wand to make it need to be purified. Um, I think that when we're we're talking about purification, that that's an entirely different 
subject, right? Um, we might dedicate a wand. We might consecrate a wand. Um, I'm not going to need to purify my wand uh unless well i'm not gonna say that that's, that's are you much, thinking are you uh, thinking like purification is maybe on par with cleansing or yes okay okay yes for me purification cleansing like there's there's that sort of that idea with purifying that you're like burning something out that doesn't need to be there you know you're you're taking something and making it holy through this like cleansing process um what did you do to your poor wand? What made you need to purify this item? My wand has seen things. My <laughs> wand has seen so many been things. So much. Been through so much. Yeah. Um. I think that the idea here is that somehow this this sort of physical object has a beginning and an end, and I think it's narrow focused to think that this wand has a start and that that start is with you cleansing it. And the fact of the matter is, is whatever you choose has had uh, a beginning far before you touched it and will have an ending far after you exist. And you are just interacting with it during a, a sliver of time that this thing contains this particular form or is in this particular form. And that's, that's kind of cool. That's like, you know, two lives that cross paths and are willing to walk down the same path together for a while. But the idea that you're going to start from scratch, that somehow you're going to etch a sketch, the magical properties in your wand. I get if a person feels like they need to start anew, but that's more a matter of like washing your hands and feeling like your hands are clean. I, I see it as, as an action of, of making the back of your head feel good about a given situation, not necessarily affecting the object itself. And if you feel like you're affecting the object itself, then you're still you're still feeling that. So um, there are a lot of methods for for cleansing a wand or like purifying or whatnot. Like you can rub oil across it, for example. You can do it. You know, rub oil across its length in a certain direction from the back to the front three times or nine times. Put it over. Uh, incense you know run it through incense if you want to you can run it across a flame there are a number of things you can do to kind of give you the feeling in the back of your head that this is sort of reset or that you've created a, a moment in its life where you want to move forward with it i think that kind of crosses over into the dedication aspect of it as well well for me it would be a consecration right this is a tool that i am starting a personal relationship with this is a mm -hmm. tool that I intend to be using for myself. It is a way to say, this is the start of my history with this tool. It is a way to introduce it to the other elements on my altar, to whoever else might be handling it. It's a way to consecrate it in all of the elements in front of the gods um, with whatever magical energy I want to put into it. It's a place to start, as as you've already pointed out, a place to start that history for myself. So when I, I have a new tool or a new wand in this case, um, it wouldn't be a purification. It would be a consecration of that tool for myself to symbolize. You know, it is a very symbolic act of saying this is now a tool that I am using that is mine. 
And again, it goes back to that experience of handling that tool. After I, I would do something like a consecration, it's a tool that I would spend time with, you know, over the next few months. You know, sometimes it's easier said than done with certain tools. Um, with a wand, you know, I'm probably not just going to carry it around the neighborhood with me. Who knows? I might at this point. I get a I'm that person. Everyone knows. Everyone knows I'm a witch, you know? <laughs> but, you know, I might take time during the day to go in and hold it while I'm meditating. You know, it, I might, you know, pick it up and feel it. I will work to make that tool mine. And that, I think, is, is the most important aspect of what you're doing in this situation. You, you don't need to cleanse it or purify it. You need to make it yours. Right. And if, if, you, and if you think you need to cleanse or purify an item before you can use it, then sure. I mean, it is what works for you. Um, but I think you, you really do have to think about what you're actually doing um, in this situation. And if you... If you feel that you need to cleanse or purify an object because of how you got that object, you might reconsidering might reconsider using that object, right? Mm -hmm. If it's a gift, if it's a hand-me-down, I think that some of the beauty of that is that it has this history with this other person who is obviously gifting you with this object for, you know, personal reasons like I, I can't imagine someone gifting you with a tool like this with bad intentions towards you and your practice mm -hmm. so why would you cast that out why would you get rid of that um why wouldn't you incorporate that into what that tool means to you my wand was a gift from someone i love very much he saw that wand he knew the maker and he bought it for me um that wand didn't have a history beyond that before it came to me but that is now a part of its story. And every time I hold that wand, he is a part of what I'm using it for. You know, and we can talk about then, you know, there's the, there's the opposite side of that, of course, where maybe I want to do a working where I don't want his energy to be a part of it. Maybe I won't use that wand. Maybe I'll use a different wand. But part of that tool's history for me was the gifting of that object. And I wouldn't want to just cleanse that off of it. Then the question kind of stands as to uh, charging of a wand, and, and this has been asked a few times actually. Is uh, you know how is a wand charged, or why would you charge a wand? My my particular take on this is that you can charge a wand, but for me that's kind of an awkward sort of situation because I don't I don't consider my wand to be per se a battery. I don't consider it to be a source of energy so much as, uh, again, a, a functional tool and a, a, a tool of focus. Uh, so what it provides for me is that focus when I use it in circle. However, however, it might be a situation where uh, I've used this tool really extensively for a period of time. And much as in a relationship, I might need some me time. My tool might need its own me time, right? I can't send my wand to the spa, but I can set it aside and I can say, you know what, we're just I'm just going to come back to you in a little while and then it's going to be like a, a rekindled relationship and I might have a little bit of me time away from my wand, that particular magical tool. And for me, that's not a charging so much as it is just controlling my relationship with that item, with that thing. So I, I'm not sure that I fully 
grasp the need for charging per se. What's your experience on that? I wouldn't I wouldn't ever think of charging a tool like this because the tool is there to direct my energy. I am the charge in this situation. I have worked, I should have worked enough with these tools to use them to direct my energy through them. I would agree with you, you know, my tool, it's not a battery, it doesn't need recharging. I, on the other hand, might need some recharging after a working. And if you've been doing heavy duty magic with a certain set of tools, I would agree with you sometimes, you know, it's it's not necessarily even about the tools, it's about the workings you've been doing um, and the amount of energy you've been putting into it. And sometimes you need to end that energy flow and walk away from it for a moment and setting a tool aside for a little while to recharge yourself can be very symbolic of what you're doing in that act. But yeah, my, my tools in, in any way, shape, or form are extensions of my energy. So in that sense, I have to keep myself charged mm-hmm. and I have to, you know, watch my own energy levels uh, within ritual and magical use, but my tools don't. If we're talking about charging, and again, it's it's not something that I necessarily do with this kind of tool because, again, my mind is not not set up in a way that, that finds a lot of purpose in that. However, what we're really talking about is getting your head in a place where you regard that tool in a particular state. You're convincing a part of your mind, your magical mind, to regard that tool. And, you know, one of the most common ways of, let's say, charging uh, might be to use rainwater in order to, to wash over it. And this is more like charging slash cleansing, right? Where you might leave that tool out under a full moon. Now, keep in mind, I don't honestly believe personally the full moon necessarily is imbuing it with light power. I don't believe that the rainwater is somehow consecrating it because it fell from a clout. What I believe is that if that's what it takes to get your mind in a place where that item is cleansed or pure, if that is the the construct that you need to go through, that you need to apply to that tool in order to get your mind in a place where it has a renewed relationship with that item, then that's what you're going to do. That's what you're going to go through. But it isn't the thing that you go through that that dictates it. It's that you have an investment. You believe that it is. And it's it's um, it's almost like, a, to the extent, the practice, sort of like an OCD practice. If you walk out the door and it requires turning the handle three times to convince you that the door is locked, even though you locked the door, then that's what you've got to do to get your mind in a place where it is settled and and secure about walking out of the house and leaving the home. So let's talk about the construction of the wand. We've already talked about it not really mattering necessarily what you use. Uh, however, you have mentioned that your wand is rather long. And depending on the wand that I'm talking about, <laughs> some are not as long. So how how long should a wand be? When I was taught about the length of a wand, and uh, y'all will forgive me at all the many jokes percolating in my brain right now over this subject matter, Mm. I was taught that the length of the wand should be essentially the length of your forearm uh, to the end of your middle finger. And mine, that is the length of mine. And when I tell students to, when, you know, students ask me about creating their own wands, that is what I tell them. That, of course, is is my tradition's answer. 
to how long a wand should be. So um, why why but, is it why I, is it that long in your tradition? Is there like a rhyme or reason to that? No, I think it you know it's it's supposed to be an extension of yourself, right? And so it and it is when I hold my wand, um, depending on where I grip it, you know, I can brace it on my forearm, mm-hmm. um, and it really does become an extension of me. And it is a really like powerful tool, not just visually, but in how I feel when I use it. When I, I, you know, go up and pull that wand down, that is a very solid downward stroke. <laughs> um, of, of course, my wand is a little heavier. Um, it, it's, it's not as heavy as it looks, but um, it is still a heavy wand in that regard in comparison to your wands, which I have seen, um, though not held, that are a little more delicate in appearance, um, at least in weight-wise. You and I have talked about the difference, too, in terms of where the wand is placed on the altar, in terms of how that tool is used and seen. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a very southern wand. My wand sits in the south. Um, it is a very passionate, fiery, phallic wand. It is, it is not a subtle wand. Uh, usually when I am I am using my wand, it is for a little bit more of the blunt force side of the energy spectrum. Whereas I think the that for you, uh, what you're doing is much more delicate in nature in terms of communication with an Eastern wand. Right. So again, how long should a wand be? My tradition will tell you one answer. I'm sure a different tradition will give you another. It really comes down, though, to how that tool feels in your hand and how you feel about it, and what you're looking for out of your wand. And I think that's where handling the wand becomes really important, because it can feel really awkward if it's too short or if it's too big. And just just buying it online can make that very difficult. And I I have an example of that. I purchased a wand, and it looked much bigger online. Uh, And it actually came out to be much shorter than than my forearm, you know, by a matter of a couple of inches. But in using it and in, in kind of handling it and gripping it, what I found is that it had sort of that feeling of being much more precise or much more, a bit like, like, like sewing a needle, if you will, a very large needle, very specific. Uh, it would allow me to kind of get to the point of something. And it has its own personality. So I do find function with it. I do, I do find use with it. But yeah, I agree. And and that kind of rolls to another question, which is its association with different quarters or different different directions or different elements. And you'd already mentioned uh, your wand being in the south. And for my use, it's, that's kind of the difference in our practices. My wand is in the east. And one might ask, well, how can you use the same object in, in two very different houses, if you will, the, the house of the south versus your house in the east. And the house in the east is very much a place of communication. It's a place of first thoughts. It's a place of of projecting and communicating out to the world before it moves into the south, where and that's a place of of a fire, a catalyst that stirs action. It's a call to action area. And it can have very different feelings. Whereas my wands can be very light and very fluid and very specific to communicating my desires and symbols out into the universe, the wand as it shifts to the south turns into a very passionate item 
It turns into something almost uh, phallic, if you will, that it is meant to stir action and stir emotion. It's supposed to be a very strong and, and action-influencing item. And it, the personality changes. And in fact, the wand could look very different. A wand in the south would look, I think, very different than a wand in the east if they're used for those two different purposes. So I, I think of the tool as being very multifunctional, but it just kind of depends on what you're trying to get out of that tool and the kind of feelings that you're trying to arouse with that tool. And I would absolutely say that, you know, for any of my tools, depending on what working I'm doing, you know, I may, like, my my wand in, in a regular ritual, <laughs> is there a regular ritual? Um, In, in a, a normal, I say that quote-unquote normal mm-hmm. ritual sits in the south. But depending on what I'm doing, it, you know, it may not stay there. Usually when I'm using my wand, I am casting a circle. You know, I am building that structure that my ritual is based within. Is that the only way I can use my wand? Absolutely not. There are so many ways to use a wand. Ironically, maybe, or maybe interestingly, when I read tarot cards, wands are a tool of communication. They are not, you know, that that passionate, phallic, energy-directing wand that I use in ritual. You know, a lot of it comes down to to what you are doing and what you want to achieve. A tool should be versatile. And again, maybe maybe that's not the wand I will use for a different magical working if there's a specific reason for it to not be, you know, sitting in the South. But, you know, I tend to use the same tools over and over. I don't have at this point a lot of of different tools to use. Mm. But in terms of my own practice right now, that's not what I've been focused on. If I changed the the focus of my practice, then I might go looking for different wands to use. There there is no one single answer here. And I think that's that's really important to remember when we're discussing any tools. Yep. Yeah. The tool can have a an association, but it's really more a matter of purpose driven than uh than absolutely belonging. You gotta you've got to question the purpose. Like what are you really trying to communicate to your magical mind by using this functional symbol? And you shouldn't hinge a functional symbol to anything. If anything, it's going to be hinged based on what you're trying to get out of it. And that's going to kind of determine what house it needs to be in, in regards to either your elements or your quarterly directions. So to switch gears, another question was asked is, like, what kind of materials can you use to make a wand? I prefer organic materials. And when I say organic, I mean... I, I usually I'm I'm a traditionalist in this sense. I prefer wood. I find that it conducts energy in a, a very different manner. You know, you, you can technically use anything you want. I would say my very first wand was um I, I still have it sitting on my shelves. It was a childhood toy. It was a plastic it was one of those like plastic wands with glitter that moves inside of it, kinda of like a snow globe. Mm-hmm. Um I think um, it might might have even come from Disney, like back when I was teeny tiny, and I used that for a long time in my early practice. Um, you know, I started out as a solitary teenage witch. You know, what else was I gonna use? And I still, you know, I I don't I don't use it. I haven't used it in years and years and years. Mm-hmm. But it's still there, and it still has a lot of meaning to me. 
but I do prefer wood. I have used bone in the past to direct energy. I've had some some long bones from different animals that I personally hunted. But again, very personal relationships, um, very specific symbolic meanings. But you can you can use anything. It it really is personal preference on this one. When I am teaching students myself, I really do encourage looking for those organic materials that conduct energy naturally. Like I I would never tell one of my students to pick up a piece of plastic right at this mm-hmm. point in my life. Um, but again, that's the difference of twenty years of experience. There are a lot of different types of ones out there. There's some that are very ornate. I've seen copper ones that have silver beading and and stones that are that are attached to them, and they're just they're very bulky. They're very fragile. It, it can be very difficult to actually orchestrate with that um, without it feeling like you're you're waving half of a bat around. Uh, I don't personally like that style. And technically speaking, you can use anything that, that communicates the directing of your imagination, anything that, that communicates what you're trying to accomplish outside of yourself. So in that sense, technically speaking, anything of a certain degree of length that you can handle with one hand could be a wand. But I love wood. And the reason why is because different trees, different different wood from trees have different properties. They have different feeling, they have different weight, they have different grains. Depending on the the wand smith, it can be carved in a certain way that accentuates those grains and the the natural flow of that wood. Depending on the kind of wood that you get, you can imbue it with oils that are scented. You can pack more symbols more easily, I feel, into a wooden wand or into a really a wooden tool of any sort. And that's like the advantage there, that if you want to customize it, you can. That if you want it to be more complicated, you can. And wood's not hard to work with. Uh, I, I like simpler. Simpler for me is better. I like I like my tools to be subtle and sublime in, in function and form. And to me, that is a stronger and more dedicated, and I don't want to say necessarily we're pure in a sense of being better, but pure in the sense of being uh, not hindered down by symbols that may conflict with what I'm using it for. It's it's the difference between having a very specific knife, like a butter knife, versus trying to use a Swiss Army knife as a butter knife. And when you put all of this stuff onto it, you're turning it into a Swiss Army knife, and that can be very cumbersome, symbolically. So I would agree. I think wood is is in my opinion, the best material to use for for the versatility of it. Uh, but that said, I'm also not putting down the use of any other sort of uh, long thing that could be used as a wand effectively. I think when you're you're looking at tools like this, functionality is a very important aspect of choosing a tool. Mm-hmm. It has to be something that you are comfortable using. If you are going to choose a wand with the copper wiring and the, the stones and uh, the silver, you know, just all of this stuff, you really narrow down to what that wand can be used for, right? Just in terms of the symbolic aspects. Um, maybe that's the perfect tool for a specific working. Is it going to be a great tool for general workings? Maybe not so much. You know, I, I guess it's not the sexy answer, right? 
you know, again, like you, 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 you get again, are you wearing it or are you using it? Using it, right? It's <laughs> you know, and it's the pomp and circumstance, right? Uh, I will always go for function over form. Um, I would say all my tools are very beautiful, uh, but they're not they're not fancy pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, they aren't you know intricately decorated. Um, they don't have you know silver and jewels all over them. They are functional pieces, and so yeah, it, it's. I, I think sometimes people don't want to hear that. They they want to be told that you need the really expensive, fancy, you know, beautifully crafted piece. And if I was selling those kinds of ones, that's what I would tell people too. Exactly, and you know, and I and I I can't say that you know I haven't like walked into a, a shop and seen something like that and been like, oh, that that should be, you know that belongs on my bookshelves. Oh yeah, you thing. look at it, go, you're like that's that's like twenty pounds of quartz crystal right there. It's beautiful. I'm never going to use that. Right. Um, doesn't mean I, I won't necessarily buy it for my own edification, right? Right. right. Um, but I'm also not going to use it. You know, it's it's a, a statement piece. It's jewelry. It's, you know, look at what I threw my money away on. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a nice accessory. It's pretty but not functional. And, uh, and I say not functional, but it's, it's difficult to get it to be functional. If, if you're going for looks and not function, then it's when you're communicating that I'm trying to express this thing with this wand, you know, the part of you may not buy that. Part of you might go, you're just waving a pretty thing around, and you're just not going to get the kind of response that you would get from something that you're building a relationship with that you feel is functional enough to use in a number of different ways. Uh, you know, If you're only going to use it two or three times a year, you're just not building that relationship. And then it's just, again, an accessory, and it's going to take longer for your mind to kind of buy into its function. And if it's particularly, if it's particularly heavy, it, it's not going to feel good extending your arm out and casting a circle in a fairly large circle or waving it around potentially. It's just going to feel heavy. And again, that feeling is going to conflict with what the back of your head is thinking that you're using this for, what you're trying to tell your magical mind that you're using it for. So that said, another question that popped up was, are storm wands more powerful? When I say storm wands, I mean wands that are made from trees that were like hit by lightning or blown down, or something along those lines. I mean, I think that's what you make of it, right? Because when I see an image like that, like, I think of the tower, right, where things are falling apart. Uh-huh. So for me, uh, a wand like that would probably not work very symbolically, because for me, that that's a, a nature taking care of, of clearing things out, right? It's funny you you bring up storm wands. I haven't thought about that in a long time, just because I personally don't connect to that imagery at all. Um, So, I mean, I would say no, but then you might say something entirely different in that sense. You you could look at that as, uh, you know, a a consecration by nature itself, right? You know, Mm -hmm. here's all of this, like, literal energy having already been run through this wood. So you can make an argument, I think, on both sides of that. For me, personally, it doesn't work. But again, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's not me, right? Mm. If you think if you think that that piece is more powerful because of the circumstances of how it, it came to be, then power to you. I, I think I, 
I think there's something to be said about the, the nature of, of humans' desire for that, for that which is rare. And it's complex, right? Uh, this kind of goes back to that biological sense of how can I stand out to find a mate? And the way that we respond to that is to attaching to our identity items that other people can't have, that they don't have, getting the Lamborghini, for example, or the big house. These are, these are, these are identity symbols that we latch onto ourselves to accentuate ourselves. And that's the reason why when we go to an auction and we see something rare that it gets, we get really excited because, you know, there's just that feeling of having something that, that no one else is going to have. It's the reason why parents ran out to buy Tickle Me Elmo that first year at Christmas and they had huge lines waiting for this, this single doll, right? A little things like that. And when you're talking about a sort of natural circumstance, like a lightning hitting a tree, it's a rarity. It's, it's a moment of time that is captured and that would from that, I could, I could see a person feeling very strongly that gathering wood from a tree that had been struck down by lightning and turning that into magical tools kind of triggers that part in our brain that's kind of like, ooh, special, you know, and unique and definitely one of a kind, even though everyone you get is going to be one of a kind. There's sort of an, an a moment in time that you know about that that connects you to that that places a value on that that might accentuate your connection to that immediately now that said i personally place a higher value on creating a relationship than trying to find that unique thing that no one else has an example of uh but if you do have a proclivity for having uh, lightning etched across your wooden wand. There is a way to do it, and it is actually called etched lightning. It's wood-burning fractals, and it's this use of electricity and uh, mixing. You run water across the wood uh, with baking soda mixed in, and then you put basically high-power contacts on both ends, and it causes this etching, this lightning to sort of sprawl across the wooden object from both sides, and it's just super cool. So if you get a hankering for that sort of thing, just look up uh, etched lightning or wood-burning fractiles, and that'll bring it up in YouTube. But to your point, though, does it make it more powerful? No, because it's just an object. And the only thing that is going to make an object powerful is your relationship to it. I think my, my other gut reaction to this is um, I knew someone who had been hit by lightning huh. and he'd actually been hit by lightning three times so i just have this association of like if if you have been hit by lightning once maybe you're going to be hit by lightning twice and i would not want to be holding that wand up in the air when lightning decided to strike again <laughs> i see I, uh, I like i like the fact that you have experience that that puts a different flip on it like this well to some people this might trigger that sense of of gosh, I have to have it. But it sounds like from you, it's like, gosh, I don't want it anywhere near me. And that's a really cool example of how a, a just because you have an item doesn't mean that it is going to jive with how you were raised or, or how you're brought up or how you've experienced the world. And that, and that and a particular kind of object, a particular type of tool 
may not work well for you. If I handed you that wand, you you might not, you know, the back of your mind might be like, no, that's not going to do anything for me. Whereas for me, I'd be like, oh, cool, that's just nifty, and I can't wait to put it to use. Of course, now that you mentioned that, I would totally think twice about that. <laughs> yeah, I think at this point, if someone handed me that wand, I would very politely hand it back and say, no, thank you. Uh, I would like to channel my own energy through my wand, not Mother Nature's. So... So a huge nope for you. Huge uh, nope. All right. So another question that was posed was, how do you destroy a wand? Well, I think this goes back to that, that question of why are we purifying a wand? <laughs> what has this wand done to you that it needs to be destroyed? I mean, I think, I think if you want to destroy a wand, that's, it's a very easy answer. You break it, Right. Um, you know, it, you, you don't, you don't have to do anything. There, there is no magical ritual. Uh, I shouldn't say that there, there probably is somewhere out there. Someone has written a magical ritual on how to break a tool or break a wand. I'm sure go find some book of shadows out there and there, there will be such a spell. Um, practically speaking, you just have to break it. Would you do that? I, I think it's a question of why you want to break a wand. Are you severing a relationship to that tool? Are, do you want to get rid of the history of that tool? What are you doing that makes you want to destroy the tool? Um, and if you can answer that question, then I think the answer for destroying it becomes a little more obvious. I think, I think one of the use case scenarios is a tool being used against its practitioner, somebody taking your tool or somebody having taken your tool, let's say, uh, and the feeling of it having been contaminated. And so to that end, I would say that if you want to destroy it in the sense of preventing somebody from taking a small piece of it and somehow using it sympathetically to connect to you, uh, in my mind, my tools have no power in anyone else's hands. And I, I fully believe that because there's no person is not going to inherit the history and the relationship that they that I've got with these functional tools or with my wand. And I can hand it to somebody and it, it will do nothing for them. I'm not giving them anything of me. They, they don't inherit that relationship. Uh, it is useless in their hands, quite frankly. And that's how I feel about that. I don't need to destroy it or completely get rid of it or, you know, turn it to ash and then bury it six feet deep and then water that and plant something on top of it. I don't have that need because all I'm really doing is changing its form and it's moving on with its life. But I'd say, you know, if you want to destroy anything, it's the form of the thing that matters. That's what you really have a relationship with. It's the form of the object, the, the tool itself. And breaking it breaks the form. It's no longer what it was. It's no longer the, the relationship you've had with that, that thing, you know, unless you try to fix it with tape or something, right? Uh, so I, I would agree. I think if you're going to destroy any kind of personal item, all you've got to do is destroy its form. And, and however you do that is really what's going to work. And the back of your mind will go, that is no longer, I no longer relate to that thing in the way that I had in the past because the back of your mind's going to go, that's, that's not the same thing. That is not the same thing. We do not have that relationship anymore. And pff, you've destroyed its usefulness. One of the worst consequences I've ever heard 
uh, in terms of like oath breaking. I've only heard this in regards to oath breaking. Um, it is, you know, if you break this oath, may your tools turn against you. Mm-hmm. But but in that sense, it is it is literally your tools turning against you. It's not someone else using your tools against you. I've never had any fear of someone else picking up one of my tools and using it in any way against me. It, it is my tool. If someone else picks it up to use it, then they're using it, and that has no connection to me. If I wanted to set aside a tool, if I wanted to to no longer use that tool, I personally would set it aside. I wouldn't ever think of actually destroying it. I could see situations where you need almost that, that violent breaking off, right? That that physical, actual... Yeah, symbolic action. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a symbolic action of breaking your ties to something. Right. In that case, though, you know, I would I would literally break the object or burn the object, maybe. I don't know what I would do with anathema. I think with anathema, it gets a little more complicated than that. But in general, why are we breaking a tool? What are you trying to accomplish in breaking that tool? I really like the entrapments of that particular curse. Uh, I think that's neat that, you know, you, to be able to look at somebody and say, if you break this oath, this promise, uh, may your may your tools work against you, which is basically to say, may may your closest friends turn their back to you. And just by saying that to someone, and and somebody taking that seriously enough, uh, that that should you break your oath, break a promise, or not at least try to fulfill it as best as you possibly can, that you have that mental feeling that the back of your head has created this contract that that relationship is going to change, that your tools are no longer going to operate well for you, that you're not going to feel that relationship, that connection, that quite literally it's as if your closest friends have turned their back against you, and that somebody sort of put this in your mind. It's a bit like somebody humming a song, and then that song buzzing around in your head for hours and hours and hours. And and to me, it's that that same kind of feeling of not being able to to get rid of that, that uh, earworm of a thought or a song in this example uh, is really cool. It's just, it's a really good example of, you know, how that sort of phraseology isn't necessarily so much direct as it is planting a seed for an idea and a contract for an idea and that you agreeing to that contract, you know, the back of your head is like, okay, you know, if we if we don't live up to this, then uh, then I'm just I'm just not gonna respond to these items. We're gonna have a different relationship with these things, and it's just not gonna work well. You know, it's just not gonna feel the same, and 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 that it will actually fulfill itself in doing so. This is a perfect example of of how a a curse can be more of a mental infection necessarily than something magical that just wisps around in the air and then boop attacks somebody. So that's that's a really good point. So what is a, an example of wand substitutes for anyone having to hide their practice? Oh, goodness. At, at that point, if you're, you're literally hiding your practice, I, I would almost say, you know, use your, your finger, use your hands. You know, at that point, if you're, you're that far into the broom closet, you probably don't want any actual objects laying around. 
I'm probably not the best person to ask about this. I have been very openly out of the broom closet my whole life. Uh, I was raised in a very Christian family and um, very clearly said to them at a very early age, you know, that this this is not for me and have openly been a witch for a good majority of my life at this point. I've had students, I've had friends who are not so lucky, who, who don't feel that they can practice openly. I had, um, this wasn't a substitute for a wand, but one of my dear friends used her grandmother's straight razor as her athame. And it was a family object cool. that had been passed down. Yeah, it was very cool. I mean, even after she she was more openly out, it was still an object she used as her athame. Um, so, you know, I think that's a good example of finding something that, like, her family already expected her to have. It had been passed down to her mother. Her mother had passed it down to her. It wasn't something anyone thought anything of to have, see, you know, sitting on her dresser, on the bedside table, you know, whatever. And it, it didn't raise that sort of suspicion. Um, I think a wand might be a little more complicated because a wand is a pretty obvious symbol. <laughs> But you know, you never know. Um, I had um, I, I had brought up the example earlier of the the teacher's pointer. I had my grandfather's pointer from when he taught school. Um, I used that for a lot of years. I wasn't hiding it. You know, it wasn't something that that I you know I, again I wasn't in the room closet. Um, but that was a, a piece of family history that was important to me, and I had it. Mm-hmm. And again, no one thought anything of the fact that I had my grandfather's pointer from his teaching days. So, you know, maybe find find those objects that people already expect to see, you have and use, and and use those objects as your tools. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that if I was to recommend one thing, it would be either a pen or a pencil, a writing utility. And, and for a number of reasons, because again, my personal practice puts the wand in the east. The east is very, again, it's communication. It's its core in communication. And the pen is core. Pen or pencil is a core in communication. You're using that as a writing implement. Uh, and it can have very real effects. The ability to, you know, the symbols that they will then interpret. And that's writing. That's writing. If you create a po- poem using the wand that is your pen, and you pass that to somebody, you're conveying your emotion. You're, you're moving that information from one person to another. You're, you're using your wand for the purpose that a wand is really good at. So the idea of using a pen or a pencil as your wand and circle, I think, just kind of naturally flows in. And no one's going to think twice about you having a pen or a pencil. And it, I think symbolically it fits very well. I think that Wiccans have a lot of stories uh, to explain things that are are sometimes very romantic um and and of course one of my my favorites is um around the book of shadows where if you know the the witch finder has has come to break up your circle the handmaiden takes your book of shadows and flees in one direction and your priestess flees in the other because the priestess should have the entire book of shadows memorized whereas the handmaiden is still learning it and will still need the actual written tool to learn from in case the priestess is killed by the witch finders. And that just makes me, makes me think of that in terms of writing these things down and communicating those, those 
um, circle traditions in that manner. Um, but I like that. I like that a pencil or, or pen. Yeah, the only downside there is its size. It's just not going to be as long as your arm and be a very good implement for writing and not look ridiculous, right? Like one of those long red pencils. It's like a foot and a half long that you're, you use with your freaking fist with, with the, the, that children use like before they the, figure out how to use a pencil. No. The ones with the like curly cues on the ends, you know, that had the, the crazy plastic, like, yeah, definitely. Kids, yeah, no, that's writing. Don't pencils. use those. But uh, yeah, I think something along those lines, and I'm sure there are plenty of other options. Uh, but really, you're just looking for for an item that, as you'd already mentioned, just looks natural. I mean, you know, it could be a comb or a brush if you wanted. You know, it, it doesn't have to be elaborate. You know, it doesn't have to be uh, anything unusual. Uh, it can be very common. And in fact, that's the reason why a lot of tools were very common. Nobody would look at a person who was using a bowling in order to cut the herbs in their garden. Yet a bowling is a very common athame used in practices. Nobody would think twice about a person having a broom, even though it has been used to cleanse the space, to literally sweep the space to make you feel as though that space that you're going to do circle in has been brushed and has been cleaned and is, is dedicated to what you want to do or to ride on, per se, to jump as high as you want to demonstrate to the grains to grow just after you've planted the seeds for your crop. But no one's going to think twice about seeing a broom at your house because brooms are very common. Another uh, Wiccan story is that um, summoners were often the weavers uh, of the community because they would carry a staff and no one would think anything of them going house to house to ask people for business so they could spread news of circling. Um, so I think we have a lot of these traditions uh, in terms of magical practice, especially in, in Western culture mm -hmm. of people using everyday objects. My first salt and water dishes were makeup bowls from my grandmother. Um, and not, again, not that I was hiding anything. I just, I liked the fact that I had that, that family connection and that had meaning to me. You know, I still have them though. They are more delicate now, so I don't usually use mm -hmm. them. The tools we have are, are what we make of them. Right. They, they don't have to be anything. So, specific. So of the tools that we use, is there a wrong way to use a wand? It's a bit like asking, is there a wrong way um, to eat a Reese's peanut butter cup? It feels like that kind of question. Well, and it, it, and it's, it's funny because you and I had discussed this earlier, and my answer was no, because if it feels right, then that's the way you should use it. You had a very different spin on this that I thought was practical and relevant as well. Um, you shouldn't use a wand for some function that it's not meant for, like scrambling eggs. Scrambling eggs. That's the example that I used. Like, yeah, if, if if you're gonna train to use your wand, and you want to communicate to that part of your head that you are you're training up, and again, I'm gonna reference the, the Pavlov's dog situation, that we are creatures of habit, that we are tr creatures that can be trained for an automatic response. And that's kind of the purpose, is that you're trying to have a relationship with these items that put you in a place eventually, automatically, where you want to be. That if you use your wand only for circle, and you've set it aside as you're the only person that's using it, that when you pick it up, that kind of tells the back of your head, oh, I get it, we're going to do this thing with that thing. And I want to be in a state where I'm receptive to doing that. I don't want to take a long time to get into that sort of spiritual state. 
after a certain amount of practice, just picking up the tool or donning the robe or, you know, the ritual of going into ritual, that the back of your head's like, I got this. I know where we're going with this. However, if you use that tool in a way that is contrary to the training that you're trying to do for yourself, it's not going to work well. Like any time that, that Pavlov rang the bell and didn't feed the dog actually worked counter to the idea of getting the dog to salivate whenever it heard the bell. So you'd never did that. You know, ring the bell, feed the dog, ring the bell, feed the dog, do that many, many times, and eventually ring the bell, dog salivates. Can't control it. We are very much the same way. Pull out wand, do ritual. Pull out wand, do ritual. If you use that wand for anything else, what you're doing is you're pulling away from that that Pavlov's dog response that we're trying to train ourselves with that takes us to that that place of, of meditation and, and personal mysticism faster. It helps to shortcut that. And if I'm using my wand to scramble some eggs uh, or I'm using it as chopsticks to eat food, you know, to eat dinner, I, I'm really pulling away from what I'm trying to train myself, that relationship that I'm trying to create between my magical self and that tool. Uh, and it dilutes it. It, it fogs it. it. It really takes away from it. So if I was to say there was any way to use a wand poorly, it would be to use it in any way that is outside of what you've dedicated that tool to do for you. Because you're hurting your your magical self's relationship with that tool for that specific purpose. You're, you're, you're hurting the training of the Pavlov's dog within your magical mind, I guess is the best way to round that out. And something that I, I always try to make sure at least my students understand, and I, I wish that most people would think of at, when they are guests in other people's circles, you should never just walk into someone's ritual space and pick tools up off the altar. Um, and I, I have had that experience. I've had guests come into my circle and just pick things up. Um, you oh, know, or touching someone's jewelry. That's a lovely necklace. Reach oh, out and touch. Yeah. You know, or... <laughs> And, and, you know, <sighs> it's not that them touching the object ruins it, um, but it, no. is, it is dissonance, right? It is uh, dis dissonance with the energy that you yourself have put into these objects. Um, when I teach my students how to use tools, um, there's always the discussion of how to respectfully handle those tools. Um, you know, we, we go through... You know, uh, if, if I have students, I may say, yeah, you can touch these three wands, but this is my personal wand and please don't, um, you know, without me being present or me saying yes, or maybe it's just a hard no. Um, each practitioner treats their tools differently and you cannot know how they view those tools without asking. And it is a violation, it is absolutely a violation to have some person that you don't necessarily know coming into your circle and just touching items without asking. Yeah. And yeah, uh, it's, you, it's, it's a relationship thing. It's a relationship issue. Like you're controlling your relationship with this item and somebody comes along and decides to, to basically invade into that relationship. Now that relationship with that item includes the interaction with that person. And it could be very common interaction with that person. And it's like, you know, I'm really trying to create a very specific relationship. And now that you've interfaced with this thing, with this tool of mine, you're a part of its history. You're a part of its story. And it's a very common and unintentional interaction with the story of this item 
in the back of my mind. And I think that's potentially where we circle back around this idea of cleansing our items, that maybe somebody touched something, I'm like, Ugh, I want to get the energy vibes, hoobie-jubies from that person off of this item. And in which case then, finding a means to cleanse, and again, it doesn't matter how you cleanse, but finding a means to cleanse that item in order to, to sedate the part of your mind that, as you'd mentioned, that sort of dissonance of, of somebody interacting with your wand and sort of invasively permeating the, the uh, lifespan of that object uh, in a way that, that you just did not want them to do, uh, it can kind of help to mentally satiate that desire, that, that itch, that need uh, for it to be sort of purified or to return it back to a, a timeline that is without that person interacting with it. But ultimately, again, what you're doing is you're really resetting or putting the back of your head, your magical mind, into a place where it can continue that relationship without being hung up on that extra interaction. And I think that that does then answer the question of why would you want to purify a tool? Yeah. <laughs> That, that would be an example where I would be like, yes, okay, let's talk about purification and cleansing. <laughs> uh, okay, so the, the next few questions I saved for last because they are interesting. Um, the best way to really crack into it is uh, it, well, some of it's going to be a bit explicit, so just as a heads up. Uh, but we'll just we'll kind of work our way through them. So one of the questions was, do you use the same wand for white magic and black magic? I personally, I don't, I don't, I think saying white magic and black magic is oversimplification, right? Um, when we are discussing magical practice, um, I'm, I am Wiccan. So I believe in the threefold law, which is whatever you put out there comes back on you threefold. When I discuss the ethics of this with my students or for myself, it is a matter of whether or not I am willing to accept the consequences of my actions if I am doing something uh, that would be seen, you know, as malevolent, right? If I am, you know, if we're, we want to get into curses and hexing and things of such nature, if I am going to do something like that, I have to be able to accept the consequences of my actions. In thinking about the tools I would use in terms of workings like that, maybe I would go for a different tool. Um, that is a heavier duty, heavier duty magic in that sense. Um, but again, as I've already said, I generally use the same tools for most of the things I do. It is not a reflection on the tool for me. You know, I'm not going to look at that wand and say, oh, I cursed someone with that wand. I can never use it again. You know, that right. that in my mind is is sort of ridiculous. And in some ways, I would want a tool that I am very, very familiar with if I'm going to do that sort of magic. Um, yeah. I, I, I kind of equate it to like, if you've got a key for a car, uh, you can use that key to turn on your car and drive. Or you can use that key to get out of your car and then key the car that's taking two car spaces. Uh, you're using an item, uh, but it's how you use it that, that really kind of matters there, what your intention is. But that doesn't keep you from using your key to get back in your car and drive away. It, yeah, it doesn't right. keep it, you from... The key itself is not bad. 
Uh, but if you're an asshole, it doesn't matter what you've got or what, what tool that you switch from to use. Uh, you know, if, if you're an asshole and your tensions are, are poor or malicious um, or just not great, uh, then it's just going to be reflected. It's just going to be reflected in everything you do and everything that you use. And that's that's in that sense, I don't really like this concept of white versus black because oftentimes, like you said, oversimplification, good versus evil. And I really don't like the the simple uh, connection there. I don't think that anything dark per se is evil or good. I don't think anything light or white is evil or good. You know, I think you can you can do really bad things with the best of intentions. You can do really good things with the worst of intentions. There are some things that, that darkness is actually fantastic for. It's, for, you know, to bring yourself in. It's a creative and constructive introversion can come from the darkest of places. And I don't mean dark as in bad. I don't mean dark as in sad or associated with bad emotions. I'm really more thinking of, of uh, you know, the difference between, you know, expressing outwardly versus expressing inwardly. You know, is something putting out light or is it consuming light? Uh, and in that sense, that's, that's kind of where my head's at. But I, I feel like particularly in this climate of, of uh, uh, it charged racial issues. It's just really the best way to put it. To associate white and black, for that matter, is um, it's it's a disservice. It's a disservice to anybody that associates with those colors in a particular way, and it's a disservice to yourself for considering things to be associated in a negative or particularly positive between those two things. Um, but to kind of round it back. I don't think that has any reflection on the tools you use. It has more reflection on the kind of person you are and your intentions. So I would take the whole, you know, white magic, black magic, dark versus light or whatever. I would take that and I would ball it up and I would throw it into a garbage can and say, whatever you do, be aware of your intentions, be aware of your state of mind, and uh, and then be prepared to accept the consequences like anything else. Well, and to go back to your, your key analogy... Um, that key isn't going to stop you from getting in your car drunk and doing stupid things. You know, they're right. The they're, key key doesn't empower you into getting into an accident. You're going to do that all by yourself. <laughs> right. You might you might use it, but you got that covered. Um. So yeah, I I don't think the the tool has really necessarily anything to do with it. I think you hit the nail nail on the head if we wouldn't we want to go to the analogy of objects in terms of it being the person who is doing the working um, and, and the justifications that the person has come up with. Um, as you said, if you're an asshole, you're an asshole no matter what. And it doesn't matter, you know, at, at that point, ethical considerations get thrown out the, the window with the bathwater, um, <clears throat> which is never a good thing. And I might add, and just as a, as a side note, if your intention and your magical workings are to affect people outside of yourself in a way uh, that you, you know, hoping and praying that, that something bad will happen to someone else, or you have a very specific intention in mind as to what you wish would happen to someone, you're, you're hindering yourself. You're, you're, you're using a, a poor construct to hinge yourself to that. Like the more you dedicate time into focusing on something or someone that you dislike, the more you're hinged to it, the more you can become obsessed with it. 
and the more it drags you down. I, I find oftentimes that, and it doesn't matter if you're doing magic or just for the most part obsessed with somebody you don't like, the more you obsess over it, the more you're connected to it. So doing any kind of magic or ritual or practice that's focused outside of yourself in a, in a negative or a malicious way, you're really doing yourself a disservice. You're hurting yourself more than you could hurt anyone else that you're focused on. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, whatever practices you're doing first start with changing yourself. And if your change is malicious, you're maliciously changing yourself. Well, and I think it, it ties back into that idea of why would you destroy a tool? It's not, at that point, it's it's not about the tool. It is about you physically, symbolically, you know, destroying something very specific about yourself that you don't like that you want to get rid of and that is you know the tool may may physically symbolize whatever you're doing but it's not about the tool it's about you right so can a can a dildo be used as a wand oh good lord poor lady <laughs> or both hail pan hail bacchus hail dionysius <laughs> I mean, sure, sure. Um, uh, I I don't think I would go in that direction, but uh, it seems like that would be very floppy. Like I don't see. <laughs> yeah, I think you've that, been uh, like using the wrong voice, Chris. <laughs> uh, I I can't see casting a circle or or you know inscribing a pentacle in the air with a with a, a twelve inch piece of. You know, if if you if you were calling on Pan, if you were having a bacchanalian moment, if there there was an orgy situation going on, if you were doing sex magic, uh, love magic, uh, sure, I I could see in that instance, uh, pulling out a dildo, and oh gosh, so many puns involved right there. Now you've got my mind going down so many convoluted paths. Yeah, my bad. I, that's not my bad. Someone else no. asked this question. That's 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 something else. Uh, I could I can say that. I, but uh, I get the the concept, and if that's the energy you're going for, and it is firm enough to <laughs> use in a constructive way for casting your circle, uh, then more power to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'd say. I think the obvious answer, as we'd mentioned before, is anything that that is uh, of length that can be easily manipulated with the hand to dictate or communicate your intentions. And I think a, a dildo falls within that definition. I, I would say, though, that someone who's going to pull a dildo out in a ritual, unless it, it was the sort of ritual like a ritual to pan where you've got a group of people who know what's happening and who know you. And there has been some discussion beforehand of the fact that you're using a dildo for a wand. Someone who just is going to pull that out. <laughs> Sorry, can't not laugh at this. Um, In the middle of a ritual experience is someone who is looking for a very specific reaction uh, from the other people they are in circle with. Mm-hmm. And I personally would never do that with A, people I didn't know, B, people I had not discussed it with beforehand, um, and then C, with the sort of the idea of consent, right? Um, because I could see some people being very uncomfortable with that and not wanting to be around that. And yeah, I, I don't know that I personally would be very comfortable with that. 
Um, and I'm not. But a, it almost implies it almost implies certain actions. It right. almost implies uh, a certain meaning, or or a, a a for a person who may be new to the ritual, it, it may be a means of of really communicating the direction that that ritual might be going in. Even if you're not going in that direction, it kind of can throw a person off to go, you know, uh, has this taken a, a weird turn? And is going to head to a place that's going to make me feel uncomfortable. That it's going to put me into a place where, gosh, do I leave circle, or do I stay and be uncomfortable? Uh, and in that situation, like you just kind of, if you're going to use that as a tool, you've got to pick your crowd. You got uh, and and you have to you have to have. Uh, you're right. There's a degree of consensualness there, and that if anybody is new to this. I think it's important to take them aside and say, look, I'm going to whip out a dildo. I'm trying to convey a, a certain amount of uh, sexuality. However, this is the direction that this circle is going to go, and it is not going to go in this particular direction, or maybe it will go in a certain direction, and you're giving a heads up and giving them the option to not be a part of that. Uh, you know, I think we're in an age where there needs to be some foreknowledge about things that other people might consider to be uh, a little bit racy. And, and potentially non-consensual as far as presenting it as an idea. I have a, a somewhat gross example to really highlight this. Oh, please. I, I had a friend <clears throat> who went to a ritual and, uh, you know, they, they offered the chalice, as you do during wine and cakes. Um, mm -hmm. And later, after the ritual was over, uh, the priestess was uh, casually mentioned that she had mixed her menstrual blood in with the wine in the chalice and had not bothered to ask or tell anyone in circle that that's what she had done. And, I mean, I personally find that pretty gross. Um, I would not have wanted that to happen to me. Um, and I think that pulling a dildo out without explaining it to people is a, a very similar it's not quite as violating but as you said um you know if that happened to me and someone pulled a dildo out as a wand in a ritual i would have certain expectations of what that would mean and i would be very uncomfortable with where that ritual might go it would take me out of the ritual mindset and i would not i would no longer be you know present in the ritual um so i do think that people and i think sometimes you know people have good intentions right it's it's not meant mm to shock or to harm or gross out or whatever they they think oh this is going to be a really powerful thing within ritual but you you absolutely have to tell people that that's what you're doing and you have to make sure people understand what you want to get out of this um for them to be able to handle these sorts of things um there, there are lines i think we shouldn't cross and this is right. this is one where we're we're hedging up on it and and I think, uh, it, depending on the one that you use, wands can be phallic looking, like that. That can be their symbolic intent, without necessarily being a straight up, you know, blatant piece of rubber, right? It, it, but it can be phallic, and, and oftentimes when you're talking about the consecration of wine, there's there's often the you know the dipping of the the wand or the athame into the chalice in order to bless it, right? And it, that is like the the union, if you will. That's a, a sexual union. That's symbolically represented there. Sure, fine. But when you're actually pulling out uh, an instrument of of true sexual implementation that is just absolutely blatant and obvious like that, then it kind of screams shock value. 
And that unpredictableness, that, that sort of shock, I, I have no doubt that there are some people that are listening that are thinking, oh, don't be so prude. To which my response would be, if you're mature enough to use something like that and not be prudish, you're probably mature enough to take into consideration the emotional states of the people around you and the types of people that are around you. You've probably uh, had some degree of emotional intelligence to take into consideration how people are going to take that. If you haven't, then you're not mature in the use of that object as a tool. And as a caveat, it, um, you know, I, I've been in the pagan community for a very long time. I go to clothing optional festivals. Um, sexual acts have very much been a part of my rituals with people I'm very, very close to. Most of the tools on the altar can be as sexual symbols. I think that when we shy away from acknowledging the sexual aspects of what we do in certain regards, that in and of itself is very dangerous. I would personally not just whip a dildo out in ritual. I think. I think that's. I, th I think that's what it boils down to: is not whipping out a dildo in ritual. <laughs> Right, right. That might be I, the new tagline of the whole podcast. Um, maybe there will be t-shirts. Don't whip out the dildo in ritual. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we put that quote on a t-shirt. Uh, awesome. Okay, so uh, the next two questions uh, might come off a little absurd. I'm going to preface that, uh, but I think like there's some hidden reason behind the asking. So the first one is, can you wand duel like Harry Potter? I think to be kind. This goes back to uh, our beginning discussion of are you wearing it or using it? Sure. Technically, if we, you know, um, and, and when we were talking about casting circles and teaching energy use and how to, to know where a circle is, we talked about the energy ball game where you pass energy back and forth between you. I, I guess this would be uh, the third degree equivalent of the energy ball game of are we throwing energy at each other and what are we hoping to get out of this? Um, I, I, I hate to tell you, though, um, no, I'm not going to take my wand out into the, the park and duel uh, with someone in that manner. <laughs> You don't want to play like wand badminton? I, I, Is that what I'm I, hearing? I, just... No, no. No? No. I mean, yeah. I think it'd be fun to pretend, you know, it's, but I'm not actually touching wands, if you will. But, but you know, pretending like they're swords and play fencing is, you know, I used to do that with, with my friends when I was younger. We'd like, use like a... Uh, like pool noodles, and then you know, haha, -ha, fence with pool noodles. <laughs> I mean, I kind of, uh, you kinda, know, crap like that, right? I kind of want to dress up and go duel with wands right now with you. <laughs> you should come from Tennessee and meet me in Central Park tomorrow at dawn, and we will duel. Do I have to wear like one of those hair wigs? And you yes, know, like a, a, one yes, those, one of those, whatever those coats are. You, you need the full okay. ensemble. So, I, I, somebody else has like the box with the two wands, and he opens it up. And, and we've already yep. used ten paces. And we've already established that my wand is bigger than yours, <laughs> so uh, we we know who's going to win on this one. That's arguable at best. <laughs> I think I think I would just watch it miss me. You just you'd cast it and be like, oh, just went right past me. You've got to get better at this. <laughs> you know, if you're not if you're not going to play along and you think you're just going to dominate me with your imagination, <laughs> you're, you're mistaken. Oh, but <laughs> my wand is fully capable of just watching it go by. <laughs> 
I, I, to that end, though, I, I think the question is relevant because uh, there are a lot of people who see Harry Potter, who see um, Witches of Waverly Place, who see Sabrina, and any number of shows out there that really what they've done over time is they have taken the, um, what is it again when a black cat crosses your path? Superstition. God bless, why can't I ever remember that word? They've, they've taken the superstition. They've taken what the outsider saw the person hiding. Like, oh, they've got that object. Like, oh, they've got a broom. I saw them jumping in their yard with the broom and expecting to fly. When in reality, it's just like a, a ritual to just demonstrate to the crops how high to grow. But then that gets elaborated, right? The person who's on the outside watching it from the outside then tries to figure out in their mind and then turns a rumor turns into something bigger. And it becomes that they're riding on the broom or that they expect it to fly into the air or something like that. And then that takes hold and that gets written and that gets believed. And then over time, there's been this sort of accentuation of, of exaggeration of the tools. And it's basically sort of uh, fermented over time into something sweet and something romantic, which is you know, weird. And then it turns into something that we consume through media. And we go, that's the way that is. And and the fact of the matter is, it's like, no, actually, that is a reflection of what ignorant people hundreds of years ago, or a hundred years ago, uh, believed when they saw people using these tools, and they weren't a part of the reasoning and the understanding of how it was being used. And they were fearful, and therefore they made it to be something much more monstrous or exaggerated. And then, of course, over time, again, it, it, it gestates into something sugary. And, and now we see it in television shows and, you know, little bolts of lightning fly out of the end or fire, you know, catches some, something catches a flame because a fireball shoots out of the end. And that's all, lack of a better term, bullshit. It's bullshit carried through history and through the stories told by those who, who, basically won during that period of time. You know, they were fearful and they killed a lot of people that suspected of being witches and they wrote the stories. And that is what's constructed our society to, to see it the way it is today. And when you actually go through and, and research the strains, the, the runs of history that survived and the people who survived with it, uh, you realize that uh, these are tools like anything else, but they're practical. They're their mental exercises, their, if you will, spiritual self-help items. And they're not nearly as elaborate or will give you the kinds of control that you may not feel like you have in your day-to-day life. And that's the part that concerns me about media and things like, for example, Harry Potter, is that it kind of turns these items that are meant to work on yourself into items that are like mechanical, that once you know it, you go pew, pew, pew. And and then it's it's just everybody's pew, pew, pewing. Everybody's, you know, flicking and swishing and killing. And, you know, it, it goes away from using the tool to improve yourself to using the tool as a machine. Or as to a which, weapon. If that was the case, uh, well, the weapon even of itself is still kind of like a machine. Right. Sure. I mean, it, even its use as a as a weapon is really more, you know, its use of like a a, a machine in this sense. But then to um, to think that you're you're gonna pick up a wand and use it, you know, to harm someone else like that that is a much more charged 
idea in that sense, even like these. or to light a candle, even right. like I'm gonna if I'm gonna learn the spell to light a candle. I've got the spell for you. It's called a lighter. <laughs> uh, it may not, and you can get lighters that look like wands. They've got a little trigger. They extend out by about six or seven inches. You can light candles that way. You know, this there's this romance of having a power um, that is unusual. And the fact of the matter is, is that the, the best unusual power that you can use is the one that you wield from within to change yourself. So that's, that is kind of my feeling about the, the dueling wands of Harry Potter. I, I think I would be honestly worried about any student I had walk into my circle who uh, was asking me about dueling with their wands like Harry Potter too. But would it surprise you, though? At this point, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but... I mean, it's, it, it's, an, it's unfortunately like a, a, an incorrect path to, to come from, but it is so hyped by media that if you're literally coming from notebook knowledge, nobody who knows about it, they just somehow found out that you were a witch, and they're kind of like, look, I, I, can you do the stuff with your wand like they do in the Harry Potter? Uh, that's, I think, a perfectly legitimate question. I think that kind of question is asked, or that it's kind of expected that there's this sort of hidden knowledge that, that somehow you'd be able to do that sort of thing. Uh, so it do wouldn't surprise me to see someone asking that kind of question. Maybe it's not Harry Potter specifically. I would, I think, question the common sense of the question itself, maybe, more than be surprised by it. Okay. Okay. Uh, in other words, you'd you'd be like, "Oh, we've got a lot of work to do." Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're and and you're going to be disappointed. And you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> if if you're if you're not looking to use these things to change yourself and make yourself a more directed and self-empowered person, um, and you're just looking to light candles and and throw fireballs, uh, it's going to be highly disappointing. Uh, I'm and, sorry. And, and I, I thankfully I don't teach throwing fireballs to anyone. You're such a buzzkill. I am. I many people have told me this over the years. I I do. I ruin everything. Everyone knows. I ruin everything. I'd, immediately, like people are going to listen to this show and go, "Screw it, I'm out." Yeah, you know. Hey. You know what? What? That's I've studied for five years and I'm not going to be able to do that. You're telling me that's off. The, that's off the plate now. Up, oh, fine. They're, they're really going to hate to learn about the broom riding situation that you've already alluded to. So, uh, On a serious note, I, I did have someone that wasn't a student, but somebody that I followed up with after she had left a, a Wicca beginners uh, social media group. And her, her argument was definitely valid, although the place that she was coming from was uh, from a very hurt and abused place. And that was that, that she'd come from a relationship that was heavily Christian and also heavily abusive on a number of levels. And she'd come to a place where she realized that the promises of Christianity were uh, bogus. They were lies, right? And that she had come to Wicca as a means of, or paganism in general, as a means of finding a way to control her universe through unusual methods and means. And what she'd come to was, you know, 
what happens when you do this thing? What happens when you use your wand? Is does something come out of the end of it? Are you controlling an animal? You know, are you controlling somebody else? And, and her answer is no, you're not. This is a lie too. Eventually she came to the place where she had believed that she would be able to control her world through extra natural means. And then to come to the realization that that's not the case for her was like another smack in the face of reality, that here's another religion that's lying to me. So I want to make it like super clear that, that it is not a matter of being lied to from within the practice. It's really a matter of being lied to by the media that has blown up and the exaggeration and the superstition of these items and these caricatures and that the reality of it is very different and it is very sublime and it is very surreal, but it is not supernatural. It is not outside the realm of nature as we know it and interact with it. You're not going to be able to control your world by flicking a wand and then lighting a, a candle on fire. <laughs> that said, unless you put something in your wand, like a little electrical device, that then you know triggers uh, uh, the lighting of a wire that's connected to the wick that is the candle. And that might look like magic, only because you don't know about the stuff in the background that is, is functioning to make that happen. Uh, and honestly, I think we can go into a, a conversation in a completely different podcast about magic. But uh, but yeah, like it, we're, we're working within the realm of, of nature. And some of the coolest stuff you'll come across, I think, on our path is the meta level of information, that extra Easter egg, if you will, that's nestled within everything that you interact with, that the, the set of gears behind the face of the clock, that once you understand it, allows you to have a little more control over that thing. But it's not that the control never existed. It's not that you couldn't have done it before. It's just that being aware of it broadens your horizons for options. Anyhow, to boil that back down, you're not going to be able to do the wandy thingy like the Harry Potter. Um, I do think that, unfortunately, your example of someone who is coming from a very hurt, abused place in a, a different religion is something that we find quite often in the pagan community. Many people yeah. come to the pagan community because they see it as a place of being able to take their personal power back. Um and that's true. We are we are absolutely a place where your personal power is important and should be embraced. I think it is also a place where people can't get past this hurdle, right? They can't get past the hurdle of understanding uh, exactly everything you just talked about. Um, I think it's also one of the places where we do see a lot of abuse come out in the pagan community because you have people who have found personal power here in a way that they were never able to find anywhere else. Um, and then they abuse it in turn. Um, so I think that when we are talking about these things and when we as teachers are teaching how to use tools, these are the sorts of things that you really have to cycle through and make people understand. Um, you know, we, you're, you're correct. We're not lying to you, but I also, am not going to teach you how to throw fireballs, um, with your wand. <laughs> the wand is a tool for your personal work <laughs> in directing your energy. It's like, it's like trying to train somebody to, to attack somebody with barbells. 
that's that's not what you're using it for. It's not only it's not only that, but it's just not really possible. Sorry. Uh, it's just I mean you guess you could throw it at somebody, but just like you could throw your wand at somebody. But the just here being is that the barbells are intended for you to improve yourself and and to use it for something that's highlighted on television shows uh, as this again this sort of mechanically functioning thing that adheres to your will almost like at the push of a switch. It's just not that. That's just not what it is. That's not what any of it is. And uh, again, it can it can leave some people rather disenchanted and disappointed. But the flip of that is is that's good. That if a person's really looking to you know master the esoteric arts because they think they're going to light a candle from a distance with their wand, uh, yeah, this isn't the path for them. This this isn't going to work. Yeah, well, and I, I'm going to go a little Wiccan on you for a, a minute. This is this is not specifically a Wiccan podcast. Um, this Wicca is my background. Um, but you look at the charge of the goddess, and I'm probably going to butcher this line because I'm really terrible at actually memorizing these things. Um, but there's the line in the charge of the goddess um, that if that which thou seekest thou findest not within thee, thou wilt never find it without thee. Um, and I think for me, that sums up a lot of this. Like you, you have the power in yourself. If you don't have the power in yourself, you're never going to have it. Um, and when we talk about tools and how we use tools, again, my tool is not the battery. It doesn't need to be charged. It's me. Everything is coming from me. All right. So I want to round up this conversation with one last question, which is, okay, if, if I buy a Harry Potter wand from Ollivander's, can I use it for the craft? Um, I have to say, you really disappointed me when we were talking about this question earlier, and <gasps> you told me, and you told me, because I, I will confess, um, I would love to go to Potter World, I would love to buy a wand, I want the robes, I want the butterbeer, I want all of it, and you told me that the wands are only like $20, um, which to me says they are probably cheap and not as awesome as I had hoped for, Um Yes, I think if you wanted to use a Harry Potter wand from Ollivander's power to you, go for it. Would it be my choice? No. But again, it doesn't matter if it's if if it's not me. If it works for you, it works as a tool. See now I'm now I'm actually looking up to see what the cost is because I said twenty bucks. Uh, I could be wrong. Uh, let me let me let me take a okay okay. So it ranges from twenty five to forty eight dollars. Yeah, that still doesn't say like expensive heavy duty nice object to me i don't know now now that said you know they are they are resin cast uh if i remember rightly they do have a metal core uh, and i think mostly that's just because if it breaks it doesn't shatter right so um and they are kind of cool looking i mean there's no i've already i've been there and i've bought one i don't remember which one i bought i just know i bought the one that i thought was cool looking right and they are of like a hefty weight too so that said, I'd say, look, if, if, so long as you don't think you're Harry Potter or any of the other characters in using it, so long as you understand that this is just purely an item, uh, and so long as you also understand that people are going to potentially tilt their head and look at you strange in circle because they recognize it and they're kind of like, does this person think they're Harry Potter? You know, so long as you understand the the uh the use of it then i'd say yeah it falls into that definition of something of length that you can use with your hand to communicate something outwardly 
I, I think I would be worried about my witch street cred at the point I was pulling out a Harry Potter wand <laughs> in Circle. I feel like you... that would just be a, a, a moment of, yeah. <laughs> What 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 is yeah. the, everyone else? What are everyone else gonna think of me using this wand? Freed's gonna get around. Is the is the yeah. thing? She's the one that uses the Harry Potter wand, and it totally would. You know, that's the sort of thing people would definitely talk about. Not that I care yeah. what people think of me, but uh, I I. But it would happen. It would happen. <laughs> people people will give you the side eye. Like seriously, really? That's what you're gonna use. You know, that person with that giant copper tube and all of the fucking <laughs> crystals glued to the thing would be looking at you like, really? <laughs> uh, that said, but that said, they've got a nice heft to it. They've got a good bit of length to them. Uh, a number of them are really pretty cool looking, quite frankly. You know, they're movie props. They're movie props. They're, they're movie replication props, right? That's really how you should treat it, uh, uh, in, initially at least. And uh, if you want to use it then great just just know that uh you're not harry potter for using it or any of the other characters for that matter it just should be treated like you might treat any other item as a as an object that you're using to communicate to the back of your mind as to what your intentions are and uh what, what you've got planned and where your head needs to be when you do it so uh so you're telling me we're we're gonna duel tomorrow in central park is what I'm hearing right now. It's a bit of a distance for me. Um, I might astral duel you. You're... Okay. Okay. So I'll tell you what. We'll go out into the park tomorrow at dawn and just imagine me being there. You're not going to jump your broom? Come on. It's it's not no. that far away. I'm not rated to fly <laughs> just on instrument alone with my broom <laughs> is the problem. And there are storms between us. So it's, it's not going to happen. But should we meet, we will we will totally... We will totally do some some wand badminton. Okay, I'll, I'll take you up. Promise. On that. I'll take you up on that. Absolutely. All right. So that that reaches kind of I think the extent of the Q and A that people have submitted. I want to put out a word to Tara and Elsa and Fox, Ashley, Angela, and Debbie for providing the questions. This is your resident wizard. I'm your librarian and witch Cassandra. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye bye.